0: White Sox! White Sox! Go, 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 go! On socks,
1: the dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Santos
0: Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. What a fantastic turn of events! If you love the Chicago White Sox, and I'm falling in love by the breath. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Socks. My name is Herb Lawrence, next to me is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how you doing today?
1: Hey Herb, what's going on? Thanks for coming over tonight to oh, uh, yeah. my palatial northwest side estate. I always like doing it better in person, uh, so to speak. It just, uh, there's no lag. We're working on the lag. We're going to try some new software, I think, this week and, and tighten it up and see if it can be better, but seeing you in person is always good.
0: Yes, you'll get a lot of me this week as we are working together. I am Nick Shipkowski this week in oh, studio. Oh,
1: breaking news. I don't even know if I knew that.
0: Yeah, I get to do what Nick does every day. So I'll be right next to you chilling out, tug I your, guess.
1: Tug your pud all day long?
0: I mean, it sounds good. <laughs> I mean, the McNeil and Parkin show is out there in the Arizona desert with the other people at Scorehouse. I mean, I'm glad everybody's out there and we get to have our own thing. But you didn't call for that this is Locked On Sox. Episode number 26, and I'm going to ask you, Chris Tannehill, this is the hardest number I think we have come <laughs> across so far. Episode number 26, I have a specific person that I think deserves this one. Let's see if we're on the same accord.
1: You're talking, of course, about Andy Gonzalez, correct? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Who we mentioned as being on the possible all-terrible century team for the White Sox, but go ahead. Who were you thinking of? El Duque Hernandez, of course. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Number one, that's a lock because he fits fits the criteria. World Series hero, defining moment in franchise history. That's a slam dunk because we'll get into some of his other possible uh, runners up at number 26. But El Duque, of course, the big moment uh, in the 2005 ALDS. Game three, Fenway Park. Bases loaded. Damaso Marte gets the Sox in a bit of a jam, of course, and out comes El Duque, and he gets out of the bases loaded, nobody out jam. It was a big turning point in that series because you felt like if the Sox don't get out of that game with a win. Then you got Kurt Schilling coming at you the next night in Boston, and you know they're the defending champion, so you never know what could happen. Plus, Kurt Schilling—he can—he'll he'll bore you to death with his, uh, his outlandish <laughs> views <laughs> and bad political opinions. So you never know what could happen there, especially in the MLB playoffs. But that is just one of those moments where, you're like, oh my god! Like, there's a few moments along the way that happened during that season and that playoff run. But during that moment, you're like, oh, my God, maybe this is meant to be. This doesn't seem like something that would normally happen to the team that I root for.
0: This is why the manager really matters, because Ozzie went to the mat before the season and said, hey, we got a guy out there. We got to get Orlando Hernandez will do a great job for us and what we need in this late going. He's got playoff experience. You'll love El Duque, and Kenny was a little hesitant to get him, but vi- finally listened to what Ozzy was saying to him, and that probably is the biggest moment in the playoffs for the White Sox, as you said. They lose that game. It's going to be trouble. You got Kirk Schilling going. This is the reigning champions coming back, and they came back from 3-0 the year before, so coming back from 2-0 is not going to be any great shakes especially with the home game in hand, and then they go back to Chicago and probably win that. I think that was the single most defining moment in that World Series run. I understand other people would say uh, maybe the Conurco Grand Slam. Yeah, you think
1: Canurco Slam immediately, that's the first thing that pops in your head, but you may not get there if El Duque doesn't get out of that inning.
0: Yeah, or the AJ uh, called third and he runs to first, but that's the biggest moment. You're facing... The reigning champions and you shut them down three in a row. Who was it? T. Graph. It was v- Tech and it was Johnny Damon, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. So, um- solid solid hitters. Two two of the three were solid hitters and. Thank you to Tony Graffanino for being sucky as usual. Oh, no.
1: I, I'll never forget. I mean, just the feeling watching that game in particular, and it's a feeling I don't think I've really had since even during the World Series itself, but just the feeling of tension watching that game. Like, there's, I haven't had sports tension like that since that World Series run, and that game in particular, I just remember, just for those who don't remember, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz during that that year, that era, they were just monsters. And I just remember like, man, I don't know if they're gonna get out of here with the wind and it's gonna be a problem. But just El Duque, I'll never forget him, running off the field, AJ running off the field with him, pumping the fist, just an amazing moment and just one of those I I, I long for those type of moments again. And hopefully we'll see some in the near future, maybe even this season. But it just—it just. Oh man, it's the playoff baseball. There's nothing like it. You, you, you get you get through that inning, and you're just like you're just you're just huffing and huffing and puffing, and you're just you know, it's it's an amazing feeling. Um, other notable number twenty sixes. Ellis Burks, who of course, what's your memory of Ellis Burks? I'm sure it's the same as mine.
0: I don't remember a specific game. I just remember him and Darren kind of be interchangeable. On um, like Darren came in '94, yeah. Ellis was '93, and them both having great years as White Sox like for a single season. Right, Ellis Burks
1: was a really good ball player, and he secured the final out in the 1993 AL West Division clincher, and that was a great night. I was I was 10 years old. That's really where my Sox fandom really solidified uh, on that night. Bo Jackson with the home run that night, Ellis Burks. You know, securing the fly ball to end the game. And I remember giving my dad a White Sox tattoo on his forearm with a Sharpie so he can sport a Sox tattoo at work the next day. So thank you, Ellis Burks.
0: Do you know how many years he played after that? A bunch, right? Yeah, he he was 28 that year for the White Sox. He played until he was 39. So he played on that Boston. Um, so he played on the Boston team before he got to the White Sox right. from 87 till uh, 92. And then his last year... Was in Boston, thirty nine years old on the two thousand four World Champion Boston. I don't know if he gets a ring for that, but
1: anyone who, yeah, I think anyone who's on the team at any point gets a ring. Was was he on those Rockies teams that were really good in the late nineties? He with, was with Dante Bichette, Andres Galarraga, and, and those guys.
0: Immediately after he left the White Sox, he went ninety four to Colorado, and then he murdered the ball. He <laughs> killed the ball. Uh, he led the league in runs in nineteen ninety six. His second and last All Star game that he had. He had 120 RB 28 RBIs that year. His only time over 100 RBI that year. But you know, you know what's up? Led the league in slugging that year too, Ellis Burks. Oh wow!
1: Um, one more notable 26 uh, personal story uh, or Octavio Dotel. Odutel. Was, he was yeah. Odutel was nails uh, in 2008 in that division run. And my memory of him is coming to the Score Studios and doing a show. I think it was with Jesse. And he brought an, uh, and finished off an entire bottle of red wine during the one hour or whatever he was on. <laughs> I, were you there that night? Do you remember? I don't meeting, think I was there. No, tell Yeah, he's a guy who liked to have a good time, and he was rock solid as, as a uh, as a high leverage bullpen guy for a lot of years in baseball. So, so other.
0: Considered, of course, Avi Garcia, who's recently the one that was wearing number 26. I think Nicky Delmonico has 26 on this year. Uh, Jesse Crane, Sandy Alomar, Ross Glode. And then, of course, baseball's most popular player after his career, Bobby Bonilla, 1986, <laughs> wore 26. And then they was traded for Jose De Leon. That's right. wore that number after him. So, yes, 26. Very popular names, but not a lot of people that we consider. because I mean, because Odorlando uh, Hernandez, El Duque, takes the cake.
1: But... I just remember he was just a G w- with that cigar. I remember what... Like, he was just, like, as if there was never a doubt in his mind after they clinched that series in Boston. And then, you know, every round after that, just him... Puffing on the cigar, and of course, and I remember a story Farmer told one time about El Duque when he defected from Cuba. The things some of these guys go through, you know, or at least went through, like even as far you know as recently as Jose Abreu, the stuff he had to go through to get here. He, Farmer told a story that El Duque had told him about. How they were on some banana boat or, a, you know, a, a, or an old door or some shit coming over <laughs> from Cuba. Like, you know, and the the boat captain or I, I, I even don't even want to call him a boat captain or whoever was like the middleman driving them to whatever their drop off point was. Um he he's, He had boat problems and he told Al Duque that they were going to have to turn around and go back because either they either the the heat were on, was onto them or whatever it was or they were having mechanical problems and and I think it was farmer that said Al Duque. Uh, you know, shoved a gun under the guy's chin. And he's like, no, nah, man, we're not turning back now. <laughs> we went too far. <laughs> like, it's crazy, man. Like stuff, you know, you think about a silly World Series run, but like the things these guys went through to to get here, even to play baseball, just so the ultimate tip of the cap and salute to El Duque Orlando Hernandez. So we got a few things to talk about in this uh, in tonight's edition, uh, we'll be dropping two episodes tonight, one will air on Monday morning That's of course Mailbag Monday The Sox had a game in Tempe today uh, They beat the Angels 8-7 to They put up a snowman uh, in that ball game. All the runs coming in one inning for the Sox RBIs for Delmonico, Adam Engel, Cuthbert, Vaughn, Madrigal, and Yermin Mercedes Who we're going to get to in just a little bit Uh, Sadly, Ross Detweiler got his tetas lit tonight. He uh, gave up six earned runs on seven hits, and I think it was just uh, an inning in Two So not a huge game of consequence. The White Sox didn't have many of their 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 pitchers in there anyway. A lot of, you know, I think Ian Hamilton got a hold in that game. Um, but none of the major players were in that one, so to speak, as far as the pitching rotation goes. Um, but, of course, everything is of consequence, I suppose. They're all fighting for jobs out there. But this is not one that I had circled on my calendar today that I was going to stop everything that I was doing to watch a stream of this game today. But there's a couple good things that you like to see in this game.
0: Exactly. I think the Angels and Joe Madden threw the big-time lineup at the White Sox because they wanted them to have some good times and eat versus Ross Deadweiler, which they did in that first inning. I think it was uh, hit by uh, the first guy. Then Mike Trout got a hit, and then Anthony Rendon took it over the over the uh, wall. So He's pretty good. He's decent. Think the Sox can get him? Um, maybe after uh, he's like 36, 37.
1: But, oh, why? Did he just sign a contract? I didn't hear about this. Uh, decent one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but this is the thing. I was talking about this on the air today with the injury of Giovanni Gonzalez, the shoulder strain and the uncertainty of him even throwing off a mound. He's throwing off flat ground so far. I think he's uh, scheduled to do it on Monday. Also, this is the fifth starter possibility of Ross Detweiler. I know they don't want to go with the person that would be much better than Ross Detweiler, which is Michael Kopech. They're going to slow play that until somewhere in May or June. So our fifth starter, which we gave like 18 or 12 starts to last year and Ross Detweiler is trash. He's not a good major league starter. I'm sorry if he's listening, his family's listening, <laughs> but this is not the type of thing that we need. They don't need a fifth starter. I don't think until the second week or third week of the season because of how March and April shakes out. But I not promising to know that a shoulder strain is holding back one of your big starters. That you got in the offseason to solidify that bullpen. So you don't have to worry about uh, going to people like Ross Detweiler. And it's it's not good. I don't, I don't see Giovanni Gonzalez starting his first time he's available to do that. So it's un- incumbent upon the White Sox to have a guy that's better than Ross Detweiler. Him taking any starts this year. Is not ideal for the team, and you got to have some representative type of starting pitching in these games. They all count, guys. They all count.
1: Yeah, and you know, I know um, Carson Fulmer had a decent outing yesterday, Jesus and that Christ. that's a big yeah, yeah. He's he, he you know he hasn't had an awful spring, and we'll get to him a little bit later in the mailbag edition uh, because we had a question about him. But he's out of options right now, so I you know I'm guessing he's going to wind up on the uh, opening day roster. I'm looking at possible MLB free agents right now for pitchers, and this seems to be relatively up-to-date. But, you know, they may have to, to dip in maybe. You know, I know with early season baseball you can space things out and sort of, you know, manipulate the rotation into your favor, but you, you don't really want to do that that early in the season. Uh, some names that appear to be still available, Andrew Kashner, uh, Jason Vargas do anything for you? No. Uh, Aaron Sanchez. Marco Estrada, I mean, you were getting into negative war players last year. Um,
0: I would take a flyer on a guy. I don't know if uh, the Dark Knight is still available. He is. He is. Okay.
1: According to this list, anyway.
0: I'll take a flyer on him. Cooper fix him. And see what he has. I mean, when we saw him back in the day, he was top notch. And I'm not sure if he has that anymore. I'm sure he doesn't have that. But... Anything's better than Ross Dettweiler. Anything.
1: Yeah, and you don't know what, you know, I, like I said, I didn't get a chance to watch the game in great de- detail, I, so you don't know if he's maybe just working on one pitch. You know, you don't want to extrapolate too much out of a spring training game, but right now, especially with the next issue I want to get to, it's it's uh, not ideal Uh, as you ramp up sort of to the beginning of the regular season. And and one of the main things we're going to talk about today is the health of two of the most important cogs uh, in the 2020 White Sox. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one being Lucas Giolito, who plays into that whole starting pitching fiasco right now. Now, Giolito today, he threw uh, sort of like a side session uh, B game. He threw batting practice to Grandal, which we're going to get to in a second. Uh, this is following, he had a pec injury following about with the flu. I mean, he was coughing. He's all coughing and shit. He's all coughing <laughs> and shit. Or yeah, sneezing, and he, and, he, and he hurt his chest muscle. Uh, but encouraging news today, he threw BP, and he said he felt decent. He said the, the stuff was relatively in the zone. The control wasn't where exactly where he wanted it to be, but it wasn't awful. And I guess the plan for him is to pitch. Again, and they were sort of noncommittal about what day, but it looks like he may be getting his first start this week. So what's your level of concern as it stands right now with Lucas Giolito?
0: If the man's taking the bump early in March where he needs to ramp up to a March 26th start, I'm still a little concerned because that's a lot of time. This first start will be, what, March 5th, 6th, 7th maybe, and you got to get him up to six innings of pitching before the end of – the camp if he's going to be that March 26th starter. So yeah, a little concerned that this will be his first action of in the game. Uh, Usually when you first go out, you get two, three innings in and you ramp up to the next one to three, four, and then maybe five, six, and he has enough time, but I don't want them to rush him, especially at a peck injury from sneezing and coughing too much. Take it easy. This is a long season, and we need him for to post 30 starts at least. 30 starts would be great if he misses the first two. Not ideal, but also long-term health of Lucas Giolito is what I'm looking for.
1: Yeah, and I guess tomorrow, uh, Monday, uh, Dallas Keuchel is going to get his first start uh, in the uh, Cactus League. So I'm wondering if that's one of those things where I know you'd like to have Lucas Giolito Give him the ceremonial opening day start. It's you know they, they it's important to those guys, but I wonder if it's one of those things you can manipulate sort of as the first week goes, where you give Giolito an extra you know five days to to really get back up to where he needs to be bef- you know before throwing him out there uh, earlier than you'd like to. So definitely one of the things you want to keep an eye on. Um, they don't seem to be too concerned. I was reading uh, Daryl Van Scowen tweeted earlier that it's probably enough time. For him to be ready for opening day. But, you know, these things happen. You, you, you hate to see a setback here or there. It's just one of those situations that we'll have to monitor. And, and I mentioned before, he threw batting practice uh, to Yasmani Grandal today. And Yasmani Grandal is struggling with a calf injury. And he said that he had no feeling in his calf, it was just numb. He heard it after working out. This is during the offseason or right before spring training started. And that was a weird one to me, just having total numbness in your calf. And then he said he would he would hope, he, he was looking, he was like longing for the feeling of being sore. He wasn't even at the point where he could feel sore yet. Um, it's one of those things, I don't know if this is just a veteran move by him, just not wanting to catch in these spring training games, but you, you'd like to think that he'd want to get some sort of rapport established with the starting pitchers. So he was able to hit uh, in the Giolito a B game side session today, and I guess they're going to have him uh, hit more in a B game tomorrow, so he can, you know, basically hit as many times as he'd like, lead off an inning every inning. Mm-hmm. I, they want to see if he can. Sort of have that first step quickness out of the box when he's running, but it doesn't sound like he's particularly close to getting down in a crouching position. Which let me check my baseball handbook here. Yes, that is actually important for a catcher to be able to sit down and into crouch position. So, what's your level of concern on Yasmani Grandal is where we stand right now
0: on March first? The fact that he's concerned makes me concerned, but yes. Ricky mostly told. Um uh, the assembled reporters that Yasmani's fine. He's just a little freaked out, as you said. Like he wants to feel like, oh, this this is what the pain it should be. It should be a little sore. And the trainers and the medical staff say, no, he's right on track. He should be good. I think Yasmani is just trying to game the system, not do all the stuff that is required in spring training. He's past that. He knows what he needs to do to prepare for a 162. And this little stuff that he has to do in spring training is probably really, really taxing to put all that catching gear on in the Arizona sun and wear that for 30 days. And they wear the black uniforms all the times, and I always think, you know, <laughs> what the hell? Black is gonna uh, attract the sun. It's gonna stay. The heat's gonna stay there. So that's what I'm, I always
1: say. Once you go black, you're gonna attract the sun and just become dehydrated over time in Arizona. That's the
0: catchphrase. That's that that's said. definitely how I got my girlfriend. <laughs> but yes, there's a there's a thing. Just the he mentioned it in jest, and I think it's real. He just doesn't want to be out there for these garbage games he He said that
1: early too like he he threw that out there very early in spring training I think the first day yeah and you said you know it's Ricky's job to tell everyone it's going to be fine because you don't want these you know beat reporters nosing around like digging a little deeper finding out what's really going on so you know I think I'm going to go with Yasmani Grandal's averaged at least like 130 games a year for the past four or five years so I'm going to err on the side of believing him and trusting that he's going to be ready to go opening day especially for a catcher you know it's not like this is guy's first year in the league now if this were like nick madrigal or someone like that you know you'd be concerned but he knows exactly what it takes and and he's gonna lead by example um i'm not worried about Yasmani. we'll have to see how he does uh, in these b games this week and and see if there's any setbacks for him but right now i'm gonna err on the side of he's
0: just bullshit yeah. <laughs> which i'm totally
1: cool with by i'm the smooth way. with him yeah if he
0: doesn't want to play like These vets understand the game. They understand how they need to get prepared for uh, 162. They don't need all this stuff. This is for the youngsters. And we only have one battle, if that, uh, at second base, if they're actually doing this on the level and giving Madrigal a chance to win this job. So none of these guys need these games. I mean, I would love to see these games, and that's another thing we could talk about how the White Sox are not airing these games on a consistent basis, even on the web on the weekends. I mean, just
1: only three more weeks of speculating of what's going on in these games, Just dumb. (laughs) not even on the radio either, which really, which really irritates me because you can find, you know, I'm sure they've got an intern working for the team or someone that would, that would kill for the opportunity just to do it, you know, but you know, such is life. We only got three more weeks to worry about it basically. than the real things start. Um, one thing that continues to become a theme, and he hasn't put any of the uh, doubters to rest this week, is the emergence of our guy, your, I'm not going to even claim him, even though I think I was the first one, you can look at my tweets and I was the first one to sort of claim your mean, but as far as becoming a your mean Mercedes hipster, yes. uh, I think you were the first one to put yourself out there as such, so congratulations on that, but earlier this week... Jermaine Mercedes, uh, he's making his best case for the White Sox 26th man. There's a high drive in a deep left field. Way back goes Maribel, and it is a grand slam for Jermaine Mercedes, and the comeback Sox are coming back again with a 4-3 lead. Another take one, that was long gone on the grass out there in left field. Mercedes, I mentioned he has the power. Very impressive here in camp so far. He's strongly built and he just unloaded on that one. Okay, your mean Mercedes, I think, is the most talked about thing in spring training this year. Would you agree? At least for the White Sox?
0: Undoubtedly. He's showing out. He's showing that he can hit the ball really, really hard and did it today too, with a RBI double again.
1: I can't st- you know, I can't hear the name. You're mean Mercedes without thinking about Paul Wall. Like whenever I hear his name, I think Mercedes.
0: I'm on a mission for dime pieces and sexy
1: ladies. Allow me to introduce you to my CL Mercedes. Every time I hear his name, I think of Mercedes. (laughs) So I really like I was talking, you know, everyone wants to talk about him. Like, oh, does he have a shot? And I think he does still have that shot to be the 26th man on the roster because of that raw power. Again, I don't know. What he does for you in the field, could if you can't hack it at third base, and they they want to hide you at the catching position. I don't know what that says about you, but one of the things you have to look at when you when you look at this situation is what are they going to do with Nick Madrigal? And I got to tell you, right now where we stand, I really don't give a shit about Nick Madrigal's. Uh, about his contract status and what they're going to do with him because he is not having a particularly good spring to this point. He's only hitting 188, and he's not really making a case for himself to, to for the fan base to say, oh, I must see this guy start opening day.
0: Like I said, if he wins the job and they send him down, I'll be pissed. But also, I think that he already is the best second baseman. Now it's a it's a hard pill to swallow. Like you said, he's hitting one eighty eight to say, "Oh yeah, he, he's the best second baseman out there." When he's not even doing anything with the uh, bat, and I think he made an error his first game. So, I'm if he continues on this track, and these are spring numbers, and he's facing I don't know if he's facing AAA guys, Single A, Double A guys. Yeah, they send him down and they do the, uh, the manipulation. They can be sold a little bit easier to us fans to say, you see, down in Arizona, when he faced real pitching, he wasn't ready. Let's get him down there for a month and a half and see what he does down in the AAA for another you know, month and a half, see some seasoning and get his confidence back up. And then you can sell that to the fans a little bit easier than he hits 400 and then they send him back to Charlotte. So it's fine.
1: Yeah, I think the Sox are going to catch a break here. They're not going to have to worry about that. And also, Madrigal can continue to get those at-bats that, that I think he needs. You know, I'm not thrilled uh, with, with his general approach, salute. Um, you know, he, he had an RBI today, which was nice to see. Laser show. Yeah, exactly. But in, in terms of, you know, he's not a guy – People want to put him in at, you know, top of the order, you know, just because he's a slappy, you know, guy at second baseman. But he's not a guy that's going to see a lot of pitches. He's not going to walk a lot. Um, I would like it for him to go down triple A. AAA maybe he should have been working on this already. But, like, you know, work on that approach a little bit. Again, I, you don't want to coach it out of him. You know, the guy's a great contact hitter, and, you, and you'd like to see that. I think the game needs more of that. I think the White Sox lineup would be – Better served uh, to have balance like that—a guy that can get on base, like, and sort of spray the ball to all fields, you know. But you know, I think they're going to catch a break here, and he's going to be in Charlotte for hopefully not a considerable amount of time, but at least for the the start of the season, and that opens up the spot uh, for your mean. Allow me to introduce you to my CL Mercedes to be on the White Sox opening day roster because when you're dealing with bullpens. Late in the game, guys coming in, throwing extra hard. How nice would it be to have a guy like that with that power coming off the bench late in the ballgame?
0: So beautiful. I mean, you got a guy in, Norman Mazzara, who can't hit lefties for to save his life. And imagine they, the other team puts a lefty in the, the game, and that guy's got to face at least three hitters. And M- Norman Mazzara's spot comes up in the lineup, and you switch over to Jeremy Mercedes, who murders both righties and lefties in the man, minor leagues last year. That's a nightmare for somebody. Uh, Zach Collins might fit a little bit better with the team because he has a left handed bat. But I think he's also it's like a duplicate because you already have catchers and you already have lefty uh, hitters coming off a uh, guy that you the The stuff that you Mercedes possesses possesses is a very, very uh, limited skill. And that swag, that attitude. It's, it's, it means something, it, it's man. It's Uribe. It's Uribe. S. Hey, uh,
1: careful now. Careful. Juan Uribe. It's a legend, a god in this household. You ought to know better. You got to be <laughs> real careful before you start copying anyone to Juan Uribe. But there is something to be said. You know, you talk to any ball player, or any general manager, and they, one thing that they can't acquire per se, like they try to so often, but one thing you cannot sort of just produce out of nowhere one thing that happens organically is clubhouse chemistry and you throw a guy like that in if you check out his instagram feed where he's like you know drinking beer and pouring his own beer on top of his own head and dancing with his shirt off you know it's one of those fun guys that every clubhouse needs to sort of break up the monotony of a 162 game season but you know that those intangibles aside, just getting back to the to the baseball aspect of it, I think they'd be they'd be better served having him on that roster because especially early in the year, there's no real there's no real uh, scouting report on him. You know, a lot of teams they don't really know how to approach him early on. And then all of a sudden, maybe you win a couple ball games because if you have his bat in the lineup late in the game and these things tend to snowball and all of a sudden you're on a nice little roll. You got a nice little division cushion, things like that. It matters early in the year, especially when you're talking about building the confidence of a young team.
0: I would love it. This guy is just—he uh, just permeates uh, confidence through his pores. Like he had a home run his first spring training game. Then he's pouring prosecco on himself all night is long. That, is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> man is just a is a is a boss out there. And uh, apparently Chuck Garfine reported that after that grand slam he hit, yeah. he points to Ricky Renteria pretty much like, "Hey, twenty six man." And Ricky's like, I like it. I like it. I like the, the the swag. I like the confidence, the cockiness. I
1: do. I like it too. How could you not? And then, of course, he had another RBI double today. So you know, things keep moving in a positive direction for your mean. So again, we got three more weeks for this thing to play out. But I think it where it stands right now, especially. I don't think you have to worry about him being the twenty sixth man. I think he could be like twenty fifth man even with the way the current state of the, the the roster is and the way guys are performing in spring. So. Uh, it'd be great to see. Um, one more thing before we wrap up today. There was a piece in the Sun-Times this weekend, yesterday actually. Uh, our guy Hawk Harrelson recovering after uh, receiving a pacemaker. And Hawk was not at SoxFest. And he's kind of laying low, uncharacteristic of Hawk, some would say, after getting that Hall of Fame announcement. Uh, Madeline Kennedy wrote about it in the Sun-Times yesterday. He passed out in January at his home in Orlando, and that's why he wasn't at Sox Fest. So he goes to the doctor, gets checked up, and he said, my blood pressure was fluctuating up and down. And at one time, it was 245 over 181, mm. which I did not know that was a thing. That's uh, a lot. Yeah, that's very high. Hawk said, now that's stroke time. That's unheard of. That's insane. <laughs> stroke, get back there. <laughs> yeah, it will. <laughs> Hopefully not. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he says, that's like Luis Robert's speed. <laughs> so I'm like, that's so, you know, you gotta love hawk even throwing out the superlatives uh even when talking about his own health um what's your favorite hawk superlative of all time <laughs> Can you think of one off the top of your head
0: ah uh, no i'm to you go first and then i'll come back <laughs> to me uh, i'm just trying to think of a hawk thing just like a like what a story he's told anything, or no just, just any, just any like,
1: anything like this guy was the best at doing this uh ever i've seen it's probably Yaz. Yeah, i'm well guessing.
0: well my favorite thing he used to say is like i love to watch ray run Mercy, low-flying.
1: That's right, yeah. Um, if I were to quiz you on a Hawk superlative, who would you think was the best Latin cold-weather pitcher?
0: Um, Juan Marichal. Absolutely not. Alex Fernandez, boy, I'll tell you what. If it was 50 degrees and below, you could just send it to Cooperstown. He was going to win. He was the best Latin cold-weather pitcher I ever saw. <laughs> Uh, oh so God. yeah, true oh. hawk
1: form. Even when talking about his own health, he's he's bringing up Luis Robert speed. So I'll, I'll
0: tell you what, Jim Lombard, we rode him in 1967. Mercy, <laughs> him and Yaz took rode, us to the title. Rode him hard,
1: put him away wit.
0: Oh, the, hell, the <laughs> sphincter.
1: So and, grease T and my sphincter. And then it, later on in the story, it, it says Hawk had a uh, he's going on undergoing radiation for skin cancer they found in his ear. Um, he says this radiation thing, hell, I go in there and they lay me on the table and say, okay, we'll be back in a minute and I can hear them turn on the machine and then I get out of there. So it doesn't hurt. But again, it's a mindset and I've always had a good high tolerance for pain and I can uh, attest to that. He's watched more bad baseball than both of us put together. So, uh, hopefully speedy recovery for Hawk. We need him in top condition. For that uh, C. Frick Award acceptance speech, which I—do they even do speeches for the broadcasters? Yeah, yeah, it's not every year, so I I couldn't remember the last broadcaster speech. Maybe it's because we didn't really care about it, but I I got—I
0: remember Acosta's one, Bob Acosta's speech.
1: Yeah, we got to have him healthy out there for Cooperstown,
0: man. And also, he needs to be the MC of the White Sox World Series championship whenever that happens. We're gonna have it back on Whacker. And he's gonna be the guy.
1: And Sox fans will complain that it was on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, when they were working. They were they are out in the, the stack yards. I can't get at <laughs> him, jab. You know what? Instead of having Hawk do that, why don't we just have Hawk come back and do all 162 games? Sorry, Jason Benetti, you've been you're replaced. Out. You're doing a great job, but let's just have Hawk come back and do everything.
0: No, you're trying to kill Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. Because imagine if they didn't do the things that they need to do this year. Man, bringing him back to the booth would uh, definitely kill him. I'm... I can't.
1: I can't deal anymore. Uh, Thirty seconds of silence after a Twins walk-offs this year, so I don't I don't want to see it. But you, but speedy recovery to our guy Hawk, and uh, I think that about does it for this uh, week's ep- episode. This, this tonight's edition of Locked On Sox. So we'll, we got the Mailbag Monday coming at you, uh, so stay tuned. It'll be the next one that pops up first thing in the morning on Monday. So. Yeah, I think uh, that about does it for us tonight.
0: Yeah, so uh good to, thank you for listening to us tonight. And as Taney said, uh, mailbag Monday is coming up if you want to be on a future mailbag Monday. Locked on socks at gmail.com, locked on socks at gmail.com to follow locked on socks. It is at LockedonSocks on Twitter and on Instagram. We don't do as much on Instagram as we should, but whatever. And it's Wall 23 for me on Twitter, and it's Chris Tannehill on. On Twitter for himself And I think also on Instagram Yep So for Chris Tannehill I'm Herb Lawrence Thank you for listening to Locked On Socks